excuse me. Please turn in your Bibles to Hosea, the minor prophet Hosea. And after studying the book and being given the task of doing an overview of 14 chapters in a fairly short amount of time, uh, it certainly was a challenge, but I think I think I can do it. <laughs> um, Hosea, a story of God's abiding love. I can't think of a, another better story about God's abiding love than the one that was read out of Luke 15, the prodigal son. I think it's probably one of my favorite stories of the gospel of salvation. And in Hosea, you'll also see the gospel all throughout, the gospel of Jesus Christ coming to redeem sinful people out of the sea of humanity. As we look through Hosea, we read about the prodigal son, but at this point in time, Israel is the prodigal nation, as we'll see as we work through this little book. It is the last warning to Israel out of the prophets. They have been warned for literally hundreds of years by the prophets to repent, to turn, to not follow idols. And it reminds me of John's admonition, the short admonition, keep yourself from idols. The, test, the Old Testament and New is one universal message, and that is repent and turn to Christ. One of the many perfections or qualities of God that he is known by is by his attribute of faithfulness or the attribute of fidelity. Uh, he is faithful to unfaithful people. In Psalm 33, 4, the word of the Lord is upright and all his work is done in faithfulness. Psalm 91, 4 says, for the word, uh, he will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you may take, you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a bulwark. In Second Thessalonians, we read in chapter 3, 3, the Lord is faithful, who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. That's just a sampling of so many verses that talk about God's faithfulness. God is faithful. He is known by his faithfulness. He expects faithfulness from his people at every level, whether you are a new believer in Christ or you are a, a pastor, teacher, elder, and you are advanced in your life with Christ. We are all expected by God to be faithful. God is faithful. It's who he is. God is love. That's who he is. <clears throat> And a synonym we could look for on faithfulness would be the word fidelity, that which is faithful. Something that conjures up the idea of allegiance or loyalty, devotion. So I want to ask you this morning, are you a faithful person today? Are you characterized by faithfulness? Well, as we look at this book, Hosea, it's a, a story about a marriage, Hosea and Gomer. And most marriages, if you've been to marriages, they begin this, the, the marriage vows go something like this. I take thee to be my wedded wife or husband to have and to hold from this day forward for better 
for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish, till death do us part, according to God's holy ordinance. And thereto I pledge thee my love. <clears throat> of all the qualities in marriage, one, if not the highest of importance, is the idea of fidelity or faithfulness. We are to be faithful in areas of intimacy, physical or emotional, faithful in good days and bad days. We are to be faithful in days of prosperity and adversity. We are to be faithful in sickness and in health. And we are to be faithful for life. That's what it means when you make a marriage vow. The virtue of faithfulness is the foundation and very center of a true loving marriage relationship. So today we will look at the story of a faithful husband in spite of an unfaithful wife. The account is found in the Old Testament book of the prophet Hosea. If you read the prophets, the themes that are repeated throughout the prophets are ideas of condemnation for immorality, warning of coming judgment, <clears throat> and an appeal to turn back to God or repent and obtain mercy. <clears throat> God is both holy and he is loving. The name Hosea <clears throat> means salvation, and I think it's a a fitting name for this book. The book of Hosea is a story of redemption and relentless love, the same love that God has for his people. The account of Hosea is a picture of God's relentless pursuit of his unfaithful people, Israel. Hosea's message is of, is of the faithfulness of God, love and compassion in the face of constant infidelity on the part of his loved people. He conveys not just God's anger at sin of his people, but also his sadness and even weariness in the heart of God. So look at Hosea 11.8. Turn to Hosea 11. We're going to move around a little bit in the book, so follow along. We're not going to cover every verse, obviously, this morning, but we'll do some uh, flyovers of some peaks. Hosea 11.8. I want you to get the, the picture here, the feeling of God's heart for his people. So as we read this, this verse, look carefully at the words. He says, how can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? My heart is changed within me. All my compassion is aroused. See, Hosea's life was a story for his message. He married a prostitute who was unfaithful to him, but he took her back. Not only is it about Israel, but it's about us as well as individuals. In many ways, it's also a picture of God's pursuit of us. Hosea was a, a prophet uh, to the northern kingdom of Israel, uh, ministered in the days of just preceding the fall of Assyria, which we'll cover tonight. So if you'd like to know more about what happens to Assyria, 
uh, come back. But uh, when he began his work, uh, one would not have thought that the end was near for Israel. If you lived in Israel in his day, you'd never, you'd never consider judgment is coming, and very soon. Um, uh, because of military attacks, Assyria and Syria had been brought to a, a great humiliation. Jeroboam, uh, Israel had been brought to a great humiliation. Uh, Jeroboam was the ruler during his 37-year rule. He was able to restore the kingdom area close to what had been uh, taken by David and Solomon. Um, so what was it like in Hosea's day for me to say that you would never have thought that uh, Israel was about to be taken captive? Well, and some of this, well, I'm going to read here, some of this will will sound like our day. Uh, commentators, uh, out of the expositors, Bible commentary, say this, because of this recovering of the land, Hosea's generation knew of humiliating defeat and foreign oppression only through the memories of their fathers. It would be like somebody today talking about uh, World War I or II, you know, just the, the history of some of the, uh, the soldiers that are still alive. We'd be, for us, it's doesn't, it's, there's, there's nothing there other than hearing about it. Well, it's the same thing in Hosea, Hosea, Hosea's day. Um, by this time, there had been peace for many years, and with it had come economic prosperity. The land was again producing abundantly, and many people were becoming wealthy. Luxuries had become common, Building activity was flourishing, which led to a widespread feeling of pride. Social and moral conditions had developed that were wrong and degrading. Side by side with wealth, extreme poverty existed. Through dishonest gain and false balances, the strong took advantage of the weak. Justice seemed absent, and the courts apparently did little to help. Religious conditions were no better, though the pagan cult of Baal brought into the land during the dynasty of Omri had largely brought to an end. Many of its offenses, offensive features continued. Apparently, sacred prostitution was still practiced. Also, the people still built high places and set up images in Asherah poles on every high hill under every spreading tree. Amos had preceded Hosea in preaching against such sins, but the people paid little attention. Now, it was Hosea's turn, and he courageously spoke out against the evils of his day. See, Hosea lived about the same time as Isaiah, Amos, and Micah, and is from these three, four prophets that we learn what the characteristics of the age were. Hosea had a, a long ministry of about 45 years, and, but we, are told, we aren't told much about Hosea in this book. Uh, so, so as we look at the book, let's turn there again and look at what the, the Bible does say about Hosea. The book does warn of judgment. It also offers much hope, as we will see. In chapters 1... Through three, Hosea, this true story about Hosea is about an adulterous wife and yet a faithful husband, which is an illustration of an adulterous nation, yet a faithful God in chapters 4 through 14. 
The theme of the book is God's faithful love towards his unfaithful people. It is a record of a man who stood true to his wife, even though she was a committed adulterous wife. Not only was she adulterous in her life, but it was worse, she became a prostitute. I can't think of anything worse for a man to have his wife turn out like this. Or a husband. A wife turn out, their spouse turns out this way. This marriage really is an object lesson of God's unfailing love. Hosea is going to play the part of God. His wife, Gomer, is going to play the part of God's people, Israel. So we should pause here as we go through the book and think about it, that we, uh, the age of Hosea was much like our own age, and the lessons of his story are those we need to hear as well. Even though the prophets of the Bible spoke to Israel and Judah, the nations of their day, much of what they taught still applies to our own day, as we will see as we move through this little book. Again, this count is an illustration of God standing true to the nation Israel, who was spiritually speaking his adulterous wife. You read James chapter 4 for a, a good working definition of, a, of what adultery looks like. James 4, 4, very concise. You adulterous people. James is talking to Christians here. He says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is in, in enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. At this point in Israel's life, they had become an enemy of God, no doubt. They had become a friend of the world, depending on foreign nations for their deliverance, and not God himself. So the first thing we see here, we look at Hosea's domestic life. Hosea's domestic life was a mess. National life in the time of Hosea was no better. Israel had been warned for hundreds of years through the prophets. This prophecy of judgment in Hosea is the fulfillment of early warnings of Deuteronomy chapter 4, where God warned Israel, do not become like the nations, do not become an idolatrous nation. And they did not listen. Hosea is the last warning that Israel would get before they go into Assyrian captivity. One thing we know about God is that he hates idolatry and unfaithfulness. In the opening verse of Hosea, we find the political world record of the nation. 1-1, Hosea 1-1, is all we are told about Hosea. It says, the word of the Lord which came to Hosea, king of Barai. That's all we have on Hosea. The Jews at this point were split into two Two nations, northern tribe and the southern tribes. There were prophets ministering to both nations for about 300 years. The two nations were in continuous civil conflict. Well, Hosea is a prophet to the north, and the political condition of the north was one of great disorder, conspiracy, and violence. Jeroboam's son, Zechariah, was murdered within 
six months after he had taken the throne by a conspiracy. And after that king took the throne, one month he was dethroned and killed by another king. At the time, anarchy in the land was common. No king was safe unless, unless he had a heavenly guard to keep assassins from attacking him. One author puts it this way, it was a time of anarchy, bloodshed, and revolt that Hosea the prophet preached in Israel. He was called to deliver God's message to a people who had very little concern for spiritual matters. Disillusion, decay, and death were all around him. Anarchy, chaos, feuds, and broken covenants ruled the day. Conspirators could arise to murder a king and seize the throne at any moment. Wicked rulers looked to further their own selfish agendas while the nation suffered and crumbled under their rule. Politically, it was disastrous. Socially, it was a world of compromise and corruption. One more quote for you. The late James Montgomery Boyce said it well this way. He said, it was an age of luxurious materialism, apparent religious devotion and activity, freedom and even an apparent national security in which politics, law, and religion all seemed to play into the favored people's hands. Amos is particularly clear in diagnosing this spirit, yet as Isaiah, Amos, and Hosea also show, it was the worst of times because the hearts of the people were empty. Religion was shallow, and corruption was rampant on every hand. Sound familiar? Does that sound familiar? If you watch the news, it's everywhere. It's today. We are ripe for picking. We are ripe for the second coming of Jesus Christ. He goes on. In particular, law was manipulated to the advantage of the rich, and much of it, not most of the religious activity, was mere show. Hosea's cry is that the people had been unfaithful to God, just as an adulterous wife is unfaithful to her husband. God had blessed his people, prospered them materially and spiritually, but they began to live for pleasure. They had abandoned hard work, morality, and integrity in order to live for themselves. That's our day. That's the day of Hosea. Not much has changed. He says, can, can such things be said of our age? Some would deny they, they, only, they see only prosperity and the apparent religious activity. But thoughtful people who probe below the surface see the parallel. This certainly is a description in many ways of our own day and our own nation. And as we, you know, as Terry read through the uh, Luke 15 couldn't help but think how the, the son, he, he went to his father and he said, I demand the blessings that you have for me. He wanted the father's stuff, but he didn't want the father. This is exactly what we see in Israel's day. They wanted God's stuff, but they didn't want him. Well, time is up for Israel 
at this point, and I'll give you one last quote, I promise. Commentator J. Sidlow Baxter writes, Hosea is a prophet of Israel's zero hour. The nation had sunk to a point of such corruption that a major stroke of divine judgment could no longer be stayed off. So listen and follow along with me as we move through this book of Hosea and see the parallels. Well, look at chapter 4 of Hosea, 4, 1 through 3. Hosea writes, Listen to the word of the Lord, O sons of Israel, for the Lord has a case against the inhabitants of the land. Well, why? Why, Hosea? What is this, this case that the Lord has? Well, he tells us. He says, because there is no faithfulness or kindness or knowledge of God in the land, there is swearing, deception, murder, stealing, and adultery. They employ violence so that bloodshed follows bloodshed. This idea about employing violence, I don't know what your version says, but it means to, it increases in open violence. Look at the past year, huh? what we have seen in this, this the whole COVID, Black Lives Matter, all these movements going on in the past year, the violence, open violence. It sounds just like it. He says, therefore, the land mourns. Hosea 4, 11 through 12. He goes on, harlotry, wine and new wine, take away the understanding. People consult their wooden idol and their diviner's wand informs them. For a spirit of harlotry has led them astray and they have played the harlot, departing from God. Well, look at Hosea 4.17. Ephraim is joined to idols. Let him alone. You see, the judges took bribes. Family life was deteriorating and in confusion. Spiritually, it was a nation of idolatry and immorality. Moving along, 4.18, Hosea. Their liquor is gone. They play the harlot continually. The leaders were corrupt and wicked. Their rulers loved shame. 4.6, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. They're ignorant of God. Certainly a fitting description of our own culture. Ignorant of God. Can't be bothered with God. Don't care about God. Apathetic about God. Hosea 5.5, 5. moreover, the pride of Israel testifies against them, him, and Israel and Ephraim stumble in their iniquity. Judah also has stumbled with them. Notice this, he says that the pride of Israel, see, Israel had become prideful. Again, like our own nation, we are a very proud nation. What's happening this month in our, in our culture? What is this month? Pride Month, right? Homosexual Pride Month. I don't like to use the word gay because it doesn't fit. It's just an abomination before God. Pride. Well, Hosea 4.6, he says, they are disloyal. They're unfaithful. What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? For your loyalty is like a morning cloud and like the dew which goes away early. This is the idea that it's here today, gone tomorrow. Fleeting. They're fickle. You know, one minute they're, 
they're up, next minute they're down. The morning dew, it gone, it's gone. Hosea 9.9. 9. So we see in 5 and 4, 6, they lack knowledge, don't care. 5, they're prideful. Uh, Hosea 9, they are deep in depravity. They have gone deep in depravity as in the days of Gibeah. He will remember their iniquity. He will punish their sins. Hosea 11.7. So my people are bent on turning from me. So they call them to the one on high. None at all exalt him. Hosea 13.2 and 3. Calf worship. They worship calves and open idolatry. Verse 2. And now they sin more and more and make for themselves molten images. Idols skillfully made from their silver, all of them work of craftsmen. They say of them, let the men who sacrifice kiss the calves. He goes on, therefore they will be like the morning cloud and like dew which soon disappears, like chaff which is blown away from the threshing floor. If you know anything about chaff, it's just this light, flaky stuff that's waste and the slightest breeze will blow it away. So this was Hosea's world and now we'll take a look at Hosea's home life. Well, God tells him to get married back in Hosea 1, 2. When the Lord spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take to yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So I believe this. I don't believe that God is telling Hosea to go find a wife who is involved in harlotry. I believe that she will become a harlot. And this is why. Because we find in Leviticus 21.7, talking about the priest, they shall not take a woman who is profaned by harlotry, nor shall they take a woman who is divorced from her husband, for he is holy to his God. And then we look at 1 Corinthians 7.39, that Believers are to marry in the Lord only. And in 2 Corinthians 6.14, Paul writes that we are not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. So I don't think that God told Hosea to go find a prostitute and marry her. I think this is what happened to Gomer over time. She had that bent towards unfaithfulness, and she went headlong into it and lived it out. Well, not long after the marriage, she leaves. She leaves Hosea, and Gomer has children, and notice how Hosea describes Gomer in chapter 2, verse 5. He says this, For their mother has played the harlot. She who conceived them has acted shamefully. For she said, and get this, this is your spouse talking to you. I will go after my lovers who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil 
in my drink. What cutting words to a spouse. What cutting words for Hosea to hear. What was it like? What do you think it was like for Hosea? You place yourself in his shoes or sandals for a minute and think about going through this in your own life, what that must have been like. To hear those words must have been a crushing blow to Hosea. What would it be like for Hosea to watch this happen? Maybe, maybe there are some here who know of Hosea's heartache today and what that feels like. To hear other crushing words, maybe not what, quite like what Gomer would have said, but other crushing words that cut your heart out. You're not alone. You're not alone. Hosea lived it. Jesus lived it. But we look at Hosea, and we see a man who remained faithful and hopeful. And God speaks a second time to Hosea in chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. And he said, Hosea writes, And the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man, and is an adulteress. Notice the parallel. Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisin, so I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a half of barley. Well, Hosea goes to the slave market and buys her for the price of a slave. God says, go buy her back and love her again. Men, what if that were you? Would you do that? Hosea did. He does, and he finds her, and he buys her, and he takes her home, and he loves her. Well, Hosea's heart and life is to be a message to Israel. The book is a message of God's redeeming love for his people who despise him. In Hosea's redemption of Gomer from the slave market, Christ is clearly pictured as the loving, faithful redeemer of his elect sinful people out of humanity. From chapters 4 to 14, there is a, the three main points that we look at. The first one is, uh, Israel, you are sinful, but God is holy. Hosea 4, 1 and 2, hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel, for the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. He says, there is no faithfulness or steadfast love, no knowledge of God in the land. Again, we read it earlier, there is swearing, lying, murder, stealing and committing adultery. They break all bounds and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Israel is sinful. Then we see in Hosea 5, 11 and 12, Ephraim is oppressed, crushed in judgment. Why? Because he was determined to go after filth. But I, but I am like a moth to Ephraim. 
and like dry rot to the house of Judah. Hosea 7, 13-16 Woe to them, for they have strayed from me. Destruction for them, for they have rebelled against me. I would redeem them, but they speak lies against me. They do not cry to me from the heart, but they wail upon their beds. For grain and wine, they gnashed themselves. They gashed themselves. They rebel against me. Although I trained and strengthened their arms, yet they devise evil against me. They return, but not upward. They are like a treacherous bow. Their princes shall fall by the sword because of the insolence. Their tongue, the insolence of their tongue. This shall be their derision in the land of Egypt. Hosea 8.13, he goes on, because Ephraim has multiplied altars for sinning. You see, the idolatry in Israel was so rampant, so rank, that God is calling them out of their sin, and he's bringing them to judgment, to his chastening hand. Point number two, Hosea proclaims that God is righteous and judgment is coming. God is basically saying to Israel here, Israel, just repent and I will bring you in. I will bring you into my family. Look at Hosea 10, 12. He says, Sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap steadfast love. Break up your fallow ground, for it is the time to seek the Lord, that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. Notice the, the parallels here with Hosea talking about the, the farmer sowing and reaping and breaking up ground and seeking the Lord. And then in verse 13, he goes on, he keeps going on on this analogy. He says, you have plowed iniquity. You haven't plowed the ground. You've plowed iniquity. You have reaped injustice instead of justice, instead of righteousness. You have eaten the fruit of lies instead of fruit of righteousness. Why? He goes on, because you have trusted in your own way and have reaped injustice. You have trusted in your own way in the multitude of your warriors. Again, it sounds like our nation. We, when we come into a conflict with nations of the world, and when you hear about it, what's the first thing? I know the first thing that comes to my mind, no problem. We've got it. We've got the weapons, we've got the armies, we trust in our warriors as a nation. We don't trust in God. We don't. We trust in our own way, in the same way that Israel did. Well, God is going to put an end to their prideful trust in themselves. Judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. Hosea lived in this world alone, and can you imagine living that day in that day, in and out like that. Now, there was, a, there was always a remnant. I mean, Hosea wasn't the only person in the nation, probably similar to our day with our Christians, but yet, by and large, our, our nation, our world is a pagan nation. Hate, hating God, 
And uh, so, you know, Hosea pretty much was alone. I think we can all identify with being alone in our faith, right? In the workplace, sometimes in the home. And we, uh, we feel alone in the, in the pursuit of God, much like Hosea did. Maybe, maybe it is the workplace. Maybe it is the home. Or maybe in your marriage, you are alone. You are not, your, your spouse is not a believer or is not uh, spiritually minded. Uh, or maybe there is unfaithfulness there where your, your spouse doesn't keep the vows made in marriage, in the marriage covenant. And you are faithfully standing alone. Well, as we look at the character of Hosea, he stood alone. You are not alone. And as we come to a place like this today, we should be gratefully thank and, th- and thankful for this church and then what we have in each other as we walk by faith together. Well, the third thing we see that here is that uh, Israel, you are a rebellious nation, and God says, I love you. He loves his people, Israel. Here we see the, the steadfast love of God in 11, 1 through 4. You can, you can sense the, the heart of God in, as he addresses this nation, Israel, as you read along with me. He says, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offerings to the idols. Verse 3. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness with the bands of love, and I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws. And I bent down to them and fed them. This is really a a moving description of a parent loving their child with great affection and parental emotion. If you miss it, read it again. It's in there. Um, what a picture of God's love for his people. You know, you, you, those of us who have children, you can identify with what God is saying here through Hosea. This idea of, I loved him. I took them up by their arms, right? It, it has the picture of a, of a child reaching up to their parent, leading them with, Cords of kindness, bands of love, going down to them and feeding them. This is parental love here. This uh, this story of Hosea, Luke fifteen that we read, is a is the picture of a son walking away from a parent. It's also a description of God's love, the love that God has for people. If you have a child like that, like the prodigal, right, in Luke, or like Israel here in Hosea, you know what I mean. You know what I mean. You watch your son or daughter walk away.
It's a heartache. God knows that heartache. He knows he's been there with Israel. And sometimes it's the same with us. We walk away. Could be momentary, could be a while. But the prodigal son is a story really also, not only about Israel, but it's also a story about us. When we walk away from God. Well, if you're a parent and you haven't experienced a prodigal, I hope you don't. I hope God blesses you with children who love him early, passionately, with all of their heart, mind, soul, and strength. It's crushing when your child walks away from you and from God. You can lay awake at night thinking, Wondering, wondering, worrying, where are they? What are they doing? I hope they're safe. Some have been there here. Maybe some are there. 11.8. How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over? Israel. How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zibion? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. Literally, this means all my compassions are kindled. They're set on fire for Israel. Can you feel that? Can you feel that passion? That's God's passion for his children. He does not like judging his children. He doesn't like judging anybody. He doesn't glory in the death of the wicked. But because God is just and holy, faithful to his word, he has to. He has to execute justice. If he doesn't execute justice, he's not God. He's not the God of the Bible. He's some thing we've conjured up like Baal. That might be strong to say that. If he doesn't execute justice, he's not God. It's true, because God says he will execute justice. And he cannot go against his word or his promise. He's faithful to himself, he's faithful to his word, and he's faithful to his righteousness. And he will and has to execute justice. What do you think happened at the cross? He executed the justice that his people deserved on his own son. So God is a God of great love, and he is also equally a God of great justice. Hosea 11.9, I will not 
execute my burning anger, I will not destroy Ephraim, for I am God and not a man, the Holy One in your midst, and I will come in wrath. He will not destroy Ephraim. He will judge them. He will chasten Israel, but he will not destroy them. Look at Hosea 13, 4. But I am the Lord, your God, from the land of Egypt. You know no God but me, and besides me there is no Savior. Again, Hosea's name means salvation. Israel didn't heed the warning of God through Hosea, and eventually in the year 732 B.C. saw the first Assyrian invasion of Israel. The Assyrians invaded and took Israel into captivity. And as we get near to the end of the book here, the the book is not all gloom and doom. Um, This prophetic book sobers us and fills us with a renewed hope, really. As ugly as Israel's adulterous faithlessness was and has been, in their friendship with the world, and as James 4 points out, it cannot extinguish God's resilient, redemptive love that defies human emotion. Look at Hosea, back to Hosea 3, 4 and 5. For the sons of Israel will remain for many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred pillar, and without ephod, or household idols. Afterward, the sons of Israel will return and seek the Lord, their God, and David, their king, and they will come trembling to the Lord and to his goodness in the last days. So see, there is a future hope for Israel. There is a renewed hope. You can't get away from it. I know there are theologians who think otherwise, and we certainly can't cover that here today at our time, but There is a plan for Israel. Romans talks about it. It's all over the the place. These verses definitely describe a time of great uh, coming uh, back for Israel. It hasn't happened yet. One day in the future, God will restore the nation Israel to a place of true national repentance, blessing, and true worship of the ultimate king, Jesus Christ during the millennial kingdom reign of Jesus Christ. So there's still a future for Israel. It's outlined in 14, chapter 14, 4 through 9. So there are lessons for Christians here. We've covered some of them already as we've looked at the nation of Israel, the time of Hosea, and, and point out that it's very much like our day. But first of all, if you're here today, you may not have run so far from God as Gomer ran from Hosea or have been so unfaithful as to deny him and seek other gods and committing spiritual adultery with them. But I think it's fair to say that we have all flirted with other gods. John Calvin's one of his classic quotes, I'll I'll probably hack it up because I don't have it in my notes, but he He said that we are, the human heart is a factory of idols. We can switch idols at a moment's notice. And it can be anything from 
family, to work, to money, to pleasure. You, the list goes on and on. What do we place before God in priority? That would boil it down to that's an idol. And again, our idols can change at a moment's notice. We have all flirted with other gods. At times we can be half-hearted in our love for God, like the Ephesian church in Revelation chapter 2. They had lost their first love. They had become academic. They knew all the truth, but they had left their first love. They had become book smart, but they had no heart, no mercy. Or we come, become lukewarm. It's easy to become lukewarm. You just sit there and don't do anything, like a glass of water. Boil it up or put it in ice, and it's going to become lukewarm after a while. It just does nothing. You do nothing to, to it. It stays warm, room temperature. Well, we've seen the heart of redemption that God has for his people in the story of Hosea and Gomer. If you have been purchased like Gomer was purchased by Hosea, rejoice in that today. You're walking faithfully with God as Israel will one day. Rejoice in that. That's the work of God in your heart to cause that to happen. The second thing we'd look at is consider Hosea. He was faithful to God. and his spouse, regardless of the circumstances. We have no choice. We have, and we have no, no excuse to blame others for our unfaithfulness. We have no reason to say, oh, it's because of them. Well, we don't see that with Hosea. He stayed faithful and true to Gomer. I don't know what happened to Gomer. Nothing is said about her. Did she repent, and, or did she go back to her life? We don't know. It doesn't say. But we do know that Hosea was a faithful man of God, regardless of what Gomer did. If you are in the place that Gomer was, <clears throat> living that way, living a life of sin and spiritual or physical adultery, well, God requires you to repent. He requires you to repent, change your mind and direction of your life, turn around and be reconciled to God today. If you don't, you will suffer the fate that Israel suffered. He will judge you. He will chasten you if you're his. As Hosea warned Israel, Paul warns us in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10, he says this, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. If you're a Christian, you've been sanctified. You've been cleansed. And God expects us to live like it. Hosea is a powerful lesson 
about God's relentless love for his people and a man's relentless love for his wife. Husbands and wives are to be as committed to each other as Hosea was to Gomer and God is to Israel. If you are not a Christian today, you're here today, you don't know who Jesus Christ is, or maybe you've heard the gospel maybe many times. I beg you, by the grace and power of God, just repent. Turn around from your life. Turn to God. Ask him to make you clean and to forgive you. His promise is that he will. Romans, I'll close with these couple of verses. Romans 10.13 says this, For for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. First uh, John chapter 1, 12 and 13, the Gospel of John, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Simple belief, simple faith. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. So you're hearing these things about the gospel, and you'd like to know a little bit more. We don't have time to get into it in depth. We're done. But talk to somebody here today about that. You need to know this God, Jesus Christ. You're new here today. This is your first time here. You don't know who to talk to. Well, Terry was up here reading a scripture, Pastor Terry or Tim, leading in song. You can talk to me. I'd love to, to chat about the gospel and your need of repentance and escape the destruction that awaits you if you do not. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this book of Hosea. So many lessons to to think about and to look at about your love for your people. You do love your people and you will you've done everything needed to rescue us from judgment. We thank you that you're a loving God who chastens your children and brings us back when we need that. We thank you that you are a forgiving, loving God who loves your children as we've seen in this little book, Hosea. So we pray that we'd leave today with these things in our mind. We pray also, we take it seriously, Lord, to, to honor you, to worship you and you alone and not seek other things that you command us not to do. We do pray for those here who don't know you, that today would be the day that they are become a child of yours and be born again. We thank you for our time together. In Jesus' name, amen.